Greetings, my friend, and welcome to Beyond Curious, conversations with brave adventurers like yourself that are taking voyages into the unknown to satisfy their curiosity, fulfill their purpose, and bring their ideas to life. I'm Brandon Fong, and I so appreciate you for being here, and I'm beyond excited to introduce you to today's guest, Stephen M. R. Covey. I love how Thoreau put it. He said, it's not what you look at, it's what you see. And, and so you're trying to, as a leader, see the potential in your people. And if you can see it, then the next step is to try to communicate it to them so that they can come to see it, because sometimes they don't see it themselves. You guys have no idea how excited I am for this episode, but before we get started, I wanted to start with gratitude, and that is gratitude for an amazing human, Denise Griffiths, who is the podcast host of the Your Partner in Success radio, because she is the person responsible for not only introducing me to Stephen M. R. Covey, who, but also Marty Cooper, who is the inventor of the cell phone. So thank you, Denise, for constantly being on the lookout for sending me some absolute Absolutely incredible guests. And I am going to read Steven's bio in just a little bit. But before I get to that, I want you to look out for these three specific things that will happen in today's episode. Number one, the difference between trust and inspired leadership versus command and control leadership. Number two, we talk about stewardship agreements. And this is huge because sometimes when you are working with people on your team, you may ask yourself the question, do do I complete this task or do I build the relationship? But there is a way to actually leverage a stewardship agreement to get results in a way that grows people. So it's not an either or, and it completely shifts the paradigm of interaction from vertical positioning to horizontal partnering. So not, I am telling you what to do, but rather we're in this together and building a relationship of trust. So make sure you listen to the stewardship agreements part. And then number three, how to inspire people. People want most from their leaders more than any other attribute to be inspired. And as Stephen talks about in this episode, you do not need to be charismatic to be inspiring. So make sure you look out for Stephen's tips on how to inspire people. Now, let me get into Stephen's bio. If you're not familiar with him already, Stephen M. R. Covey is the New York Times and number one Wall Street Journal bestseller author of The Speed of Trust, which has been translated into 22 languages and has sold over 2 million copies worldwide. He is also the author of the newly released Wall Street Journal bestseller, Trust and Inspire, How Truly Great Leaders Unleash Greatness in Others, which was just named as the number one leadership book of the year by the Outstanding Work of Literature Awards. Stephen brings to his writings the perspective of a practitioner as he is the former president and CEO of the Covey Leadership Center, where he increased shareholder value by 67 times and grew the company to become the largest leadership development firm in the world. A Harvard MBA, Stephen co-founded and currently leads Franklin Covey's global speed of trust practice. He serves on numerous boards, including the Government Leadership Advisory Council, and he has been recognized with the Lifetime Achievement Award for Top Thought Leaders in Trust from the advocacy group Trust Across. America and trust across the world. Stephen is a highly sought after international speaker who has taught trust and leadership in 57 countries to business, government, military, education, healthcare, and NGO entities. 
This is also not officially a part of his bio, but I wanted to make sure I added this in case this is tickling the back of your brain. He is Stephen R. Covey's son. Stephen Covey wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which was one of the most influential business books of the 20th century. And Stephen... M.R. Covey, his son, was actually one of the people that was responsible for actually turning that book into the global phenomenon that it has become. So this was an honor. This was a huge guest, a huge episode, and I'm so grateful for Stephen, and he's just an incredible, incredible human being. So it was amazing. It was an amazing interview, and I can't wait for you to listen. So without any further ado, here is my friend, Stephen M.R. Covey. Steven, welcome to the show. Beyond excited to have you here. This is going to be so much fun. I already know it. <laughs> hey, thanks, Brandon. I'm excited as well. Let's have a great time. <laughs> Absolutely. So one of the beautiful things that I loved about your book was one of the core things that you share is about trust and inspire leadership. And you demonstrate that through a story that was told not only in your book, but in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People with Your Father. So we got your dad's perspective in his book, and we get your perspective <laughs> in your book. And I think this is just the perfect setup for what Trust and Inspire is all about. So let's take us right there. You're about seven years old. What does green and clean mean? And maybe share a little bit about what happened that that day with your dad. Yeah, absolutely. No, I start off the book with this because it's so, so impactful. It's simple and yet profound. So I'm seven years old. And, uh, you know, we had this family meeting and, and, uh, my dad and mom, they're trying to teach us kids how to be responsible. And so we had some jobs and everyone could volunteer for a job. And one of the jobs was take care of the yard, the lawn. And we had a big lawn, you know, there's three different sections of it. And this is back in the days before automatic sprinklers. So it was a big job because you had to manually do everything. You know, I'm seven, but. My dad says, so who wants to take care of the, the, the lawn? And I kind of raised my hand and say, I'll do it. I had no idea what it meant. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll do it. And so I agreed. And so what happened is over the next couple of weeks, my dad kind of trained me how to take care of this lawn, the, the yard. And he said, okay, so let's, let's, uh, let me show you how to do it. And he goes, what I care about is that the lawn is green and clean. Green and clean. Those are expectations. Those are the standards that we have. And then he taught me what green looked like, you know, by looking at our neighbor's yard, not ours, because ours was kind of yellow. <laughs> and then and then he taught me what clean looked like. You know, and again, I'm seven years old. So I needed the training. And um, so he trained me over a two-week period. He also uh, created a process of saying, now, you're going to judge yourself. You're your own boss, not me. You boss me. Because... But I want every week though, let's walk, we'll walk around the yard and you can tell me how it's going hmm. and you can tell me how you're doing, but you, you boss yourself, you judge yourself, you know? And so two weeks of training, I'm clear on the, the goal, green and clean. I'm clear on that. We're going to well, every week kind of walk around, see how it's going. So after this training, he then turns the job over to me and this is the middle of the summer. <laughs> it was uh, like a, you know, Saturday's first day. Well, Saturday goes by and I, I do nothing. <laughs> and then Sunday goes by, I do nothing. Monday, nothing. Tuesday, nothing. Now we're on Wednesday. We're five days into this job. Again, it's the height of the summer. It's scorching hot. The lawn is 
withering by the hour, turning more and more yellow. <laughs> and we'd had a big, we'd had a big uh, neighborhood barbecue over the weekend. And so there was garbage just kind of strewn throughout the yard. It was anything but green and clean. It's just really <laughs> messy. And my, my dad is just thinking, oh my goodness, I've trained him, you know, and he's done nothing. And he was kind of tempted to just kind of just uh, start to just kind of go command and control on me, as I like to say, you know, mm -hmm. just kind of just start to direct me and just say, hey, son, you do this, you do that. Look, you're not doing anything, you know, get over there and clean up that garbage, turn us on. But he was tempted to do that, but he didn't. And and uh, and then he also was thinking, well, maybe he's just too young. Maybe he's seven years old and it's too early to ask him to take on a responsibility. But he didn't do that either. He He stayed with it, which was that. You know, we'd, we'd, you know, this is my job. So after this next day doing nothing and seeing that the lawn was withering, he says, well, son, we agreed that every week we'd walk around and you can tell me how it's going. So we began to walk around the yard and I'm, and I'm, I'm now feeling embarrassment for the first time because <laughs> you know I'd been out just playing for five straight days with my friends, not, not doing anything. Now we're walking around. And I can see this lawn is not green <laughs> and it's not clean. It's getting yellow. There's garbage everywhere. And I began to break down and cry. And I said, dad, this is just so hard. <laughs> and he, and he said, well, son, what's hard? You haven't done one thing yet. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and you know, what was hard was, was kind of me learning to take responsibility and to own this. And I, and I said, I said, dad, would you help me? And he said, well, what, do you remember what our agreement was? I said, yeah, you, you told me that you'd help me if you have time. That's right. Do you have time, dad? Hmm. I've got time, he said. And so I ran into the house and I got uh, two garbage sacks. I came out. I took one. I gave one garbage sack to my dad. And then I said, dad, would you take this garbage sack and go over to that corner there and pick up all that garbage? Because <laughs> it makes me kind of want to vomit. Can you do that? <laughs> he goes, hey. Whatever you want, I'm your helper. You just tell me what to do and I'll do it. So then I'm, there I am, seven-year-old, directing my dad on what to do. And he's doing what I'm asking him to do. And it was at that moment I said, I kind of realized this is my job. Look, I, I'm responsible. I own this. And my dad is following my lead. Mm -hmm. I'm, he's, he's doing what I'm asking him to do. And that's the moment that the job kind of became real to me and written in my heart. And, you know, for years, my, my dad would, would tell the green and clean story in seven habits to talk about how this is a, you know, a, a stewardship delegation and a win-win performance agreement. And it was those things, but I was seven years old. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't know what those words meant, but Brandon, here's what I knew as a seven-year-old. I felt trusted. Mm -hmm. I felt my father trusted me and I didn't want to let him down. And he he um, believed in me and he had confidence in me and he stayed with me. He could have easily abandoned it and just said, he's too young or, you know, he's not responding. Therefore, I'm going to just kind of tell him what to do. But he stayed with the agreement we'd built. And at some point it kicked in and I realized this is my job, my responsibility. I began to see myself differently. I can do this. I own this. I rose to the occasion and I, began to take care of that yard. And I took care of it all that summer. And the yard was green and it was clean. Not only that summer, but for many, many summers to come. And, and um, you know, my dad's real objective in all of this was 
he, he said it was to raise kids, not grass. <laughs> and, uh, but the interesting thing about it, Brandon, is that he not only raised the kid as he taught me to believe in myself, taught me to see myself differently, that I'm capable and responsible. I, I responded to the trust that he gave me. I felt inspired by it. But the, so he did raise the child, but he also got, got the grass too. <laughs> so he got the grass too. He got both. And, you know, and that's what we all need. And, and I just use that as a simple metaphor as a seven-year-old boy that my dad really was a trust and inspire mm. parent to me who believed in me and helped me come to believe in myself, who helped me see the potential that I had and come to believe it, come to see it mm. and, and rise up to it, live up to it. He treated me according to my potential, not my behavior. And mm. I ultimately rose to my potential. And I, so I like to kind of, I start the book with that story to say, isn't that what we all want? Mm-hmm. Is that simple that, that um, to be trusted, to be inspired and, and uh, rather than be commanded and controlled mm-hmm. and, and uh, we respond to it. And, you know, it's, it's not without expectations. There was a standard green and clean. That's not just, Hey, whatever, anything goes, no green and clean. And it was not without accountability. Mm-hmm. It was, let's walk the yard every week and you tell me how it's going. But, but the accountability was something I owned. It's not my dad micromanaging, hovering over me. It was me saying, here's how I'm doing. And so mm-hmm. I, I felt that sense of ownership. And I realized that simple story is trust and inspire. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's what we want. We all respond better to it. What if we could, just like my dad was with me, what if we could be this kind of trust inspired figure to others and to those that we lead, those that we serve, those that we interact with. And so that's kind of the premise of this story. It's, a, <laughs> it's so, it's, it's so a trust inspired story. Yeah. So powerful. and so beautiful too. Cause I can just, as, as you were sharing, I was thinking about my mom actually, and it wasn't an exact same story. But one of the things she said to me as a kid is like, she always treated me as her coach. And I, I remember feeling like, oh my God, like my mom is listening to me and taking my advice into account. And I just remember how empowering that felt. And like, it's so cool that, you know, he showed not, he, he showed you what trust and inspire was through that. And here you are all these years later. Now it's, you've taken on his legacy and you're sharing in so many different ways, which is so incredible. And it reminds me of in in chapter 15 of the book, one of the things that you talk about is trust and inspire parenting specifically. And I had pulled this up from, as a quote from your book, it says, one of the things that my wife, Jerry, and I tried to do with our kids while they were growing up. And even since was to have family meetings where we'd ask one of the kids to take charge of planning a family service or work activity, or even even better, our next family vacation. And then later you said, actively look for and seek out opportunities to trust your children and to communicate that you trust them. And I, I love this so much because I saw you dedicated the book to your mom and dad. But then the other really cool thing about this is that on the front cover of Trust and Inspire, you have your daughter's name, McKinley Covey, uh, who it, it's clearly shown that it, it, this Trust and Inspire leadership worked for not only you as a kid, but now it's working with you and your daughter as well. And so one of the things you alluded to in in kind of that story was you you kind of talked about command and control. And I think this applies to all leadership contexts, right? In the in, with, with parents, with you and your daughter and with your dad as well. And so I know you kind of just s- said it kind of foundationally, but I would love for you to maybe share that foundational concept of the difference between trust and inspire leadership versus command and control. 
Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, and by the way, Brandon, I am so proud to have my daughter McKinley as I part can of imagine. <laughs> she, she's amazing, and and uh, she's also such a great writer, and helped me make the book more readable, more relatable, and mm-hmm. and uh, and more fun too. So she, so she's tremendous. As are my other co-authors, uh, uh, David Casperson and Gary Judd. Um, yeah. So the idea is that you know the world has changed all around us. We all can know. We see that. We know that. And yet our style of leadership hasn't really kept pace. Hasn't changed enough. Most organizations, and still most people, about nine out of ten, the data shows, still kind of operate out of an an older model of leadership that. I call command and control. And it's it's more the just the traditional model, more more top down, a little bit more hierarchical and the like. And 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 you might say, well, don't do we really operate out of that? Well, what's happened is we we still do. It's just we become better at it, a, a more advanced version of it, a more sophisticated. We brought things like mission and and emotional intelligence and even trustworthiness into it and and uh, strengths. And it has become enlightened, an enlightened form of command and control. <laughs> that's, that's better than the authoritarian command and control, <laughs> but we still view people as things, as means to an end. So in command and control, let me, let me talk about trust and inspire in contrast to command and control. Command and control, I manage people and things. Trust and inspire. I manage things, but I lead people. Hmm. See, we need both. We need good management. We need good management of things, of systems, of structures, of processes, of the business, of inventory, schedules, of the numbers. We manage things, but we lead people. But sometimes we get so good at management of things, we start to manage people as if they were things. Hmm. And when we start to manage people like things, at some point, we're probably going to end up with with no people and a lot of things, because people will leave. They'll go elsewhere. <laughs> I like to say that people don't want to be managed. People want to be led. Mm-hmm. They want to be trusted. They want to be inspired. So it's not either or, it's and. Manage things, lead people. Command and control tends to focus on efficiency. So it's transactional. Trust and inspire focuses on effectiveness. It's transformational. So nothing wrong with efficiency, with things. Be mm-hmm. efficient with things, effective with people. The moment we try to be efficient with people, we lose our effectiveness. You know, mm-hmm. command and control. Um, you know, it's about association, trust and inspire. It's about a sense of belonging and inclusion. I'm part of this. Command and control is what you do. Trust and inspire. It's who you are, your very essence, your very being, your modeling it comes first, showing, not just telling. You know, command and control. You know, the focus is heavy on kind of a, a fixed mindset of, I might have a growth mindset for myself, but I often have a fixed mindset of others. So I kind of say, I got to, I got to contain this. I got to control people, trust and inspire. I have a growth mindset for everyone. So I'm trying to release and unleash the capabilities, the potential, the talent, the greatness that's inside of people like my father did with me. Um, and maybe in one last contrast, command and control, the focus kind of is on motivation which is external, extrinsic. So it's heavy carrot and stick motivation. And, you know, um, nothing inherently wrong with it. It's just limited. You know, do rewards work? Sure, they motivate people to want to get more rewards. But you got to constantly provide more stimuli, 
more carrots, more sticks. By contrast, Trust and Inspire is about inspiration. It's internal. It's intrinsic. It's inside of people. We're trying to light the fire within. When that fire is lit, it can burn on for months, if not years, without the need for constant external stimuli. Inspire comes from the Latin term inspirare, which means to breathe life into. Hmm. So trust and inspire breathes life into relationships, teams, cultures. Command and control tends to suck the life out of. Hmm. And I just think that in this new world of work where we have so much change and disruption going on, um, as many as five generations at work with, especially the younger generations, millennials, Gen Z, this upcoming alpha generation, we have completely different expectations of how they want to be engaged, led with the workplace changing, where suddenly there's remote work, hybrid work, intentionally flexible work options with so many choices and possibilities for people in this new world to try to operate in the old model, even the enlightened version of it. It's just not going to work very well anymore. It's increasingly irrelevant. Let, you know, every by the day, it's losing its relevancy to people, and and so we need to move away from it because it doesn't work anymore. It doesn't create the culture. It doesn't create the innovation, and people don't want to be a part of it. They'll leave and go elsewhere to where they feel trusted and inspired. So we're clear what we need to move from command and control. We need to move away from that. I'm trying to name and describe and define what we need to move toward. And that's trust and inspire, where we see people not just as a means to an end, but as an end in and of themselves. You know, yeah. so we're trying to get results in a way that grows people. That's the idea. I love that. I love that. Super powerful. And you covered so much gold there. And one of the things that as you were talking, it reminded me of a line that you had in your book about uh, lots of people will use the language of like, people are our primary asset, right? And like, just yeah. that language alone is almost kind of treating them as a thing rather than a whole human being, as you talk about in the book. And especially as this book, I'm assuming lots of this book was written during COVID and we're living in a world now where people are working completely separate from the standard in office kind of, I need to command and control and making sure that you're working. And so I think this book is coming out at an incredible time where we do, because of the function of the way the world is working now, we have to empower people. We have to trust in them. And it just requires all the things that you talk about. So you talked about many of the foundational concepts about command and control versus trust and inspire. And I, I know in your book, you talk about there's like a bunch of other fundamental beliefs of a trust and inspire leader. Um, and there's there's so many good ones. And obviously, we don't have time today to go through all of them. But the, I loved the first one that you talk about how people have greatness inside of them. So your job as a leader to unleash their potential, not control them. And you kind of talk about this like cycle in the book of identifying and basically pulling out the greatness inside of people. So I would love for you to maybe share a little bit about that fundamental belief. Beautiful. And it, and it all starts with our beliefs, our paradigm of how we view people, how we view leadership. And, you know, if you think about a paradigm, that comes from the Greek uh, paradigma, which means a map or a model. And someone could have a bad map of the territory where the map is inaccurate. And if you have a bad paradigm, if you don't see people for who they really are, a whole person, you know, body, heart, mind, spirit, and having greatness inside of them, if you don't see them that way, that's a bad map. It's a bad mm -hmm. paradigm. So we got to get a trust and inspire paradigm that's more accurate, more complete. And you identified the very first belief of a trust inspired leader that people have greatness inside of them. So my job as a leader is to unleash their potential, not to control them. And 
And so what happens is oftentimes people say they have kind of a of a limited view of that. You know, maybe a few people have greatness inside of them, the high potentials, but most people don't. So we got to contain and control them. But the idea is that you try to see the greatness in people. And I love how Thoreau put it. He said, it's not what you look at, it's what you see. Mm. And do you see the potential? And and so you're trying to, as a leader, see the potential in your people. As a parent, you see the potential in your children. As as a friend, you see the potential in your friend. And and if you know if you can see it, then the next step is to try to communicate it to them mm-hmm. so that they can come to see it. Because sometimes they don't see it themselves. I mean, this is green and clean. I was seven years old. My dad saw my potential. Then he communicated to me, you can do this, son. You're capable. I, I believe in you. And I began to say, wow, maybe I can. So you see the potential. You communicate the potential. So they come to see it. Then you develop the potential by giving them, um, you know, training, mentoring, coaching, opportunities to learn, grow, develop, get better, improve their talents. And then you unleash the potential, meaning Mm -hmm. you give them a chance. You give them an opportunity. You know, my dad finally said, after two weeks of training, of developing me, he said, okay, son, the job's yours. (laughs) And and, um, he really went through see, communicate, develop, unleash potential. And at first I still struggled because I'm seven and I'm learning. And and our people might struggle too, as we go through this process. And it's, it's iterative. And, and, um, but, but ultimately they, they start to rise to their best version of their, of themselves, which I know what you're all about with this podcast of, of bringing that best version of ourselves, of our purpose and who we can be to create the best kind of life and career and possibilities for us. Mm. And we start to, to tap into that greatness that's inside of us. And we can do the same for those that we lead. And, and, and by leading, it doesn't mean that necessarily that they, our direct reports to us. Leadership is a choice, not a position. So we can lead in every aspect of our life in relationships with, with family, with friends, as well as with coworkers and direct reports. So see, communicate, develop, and unleash the mm. potential, the greatness that's inside of people. And it starts, you know, by by that first very act of seeing it. Because how can you unleash it if you don't see it? And sometimes mm. the greatness is dormant. It's just you know, it's not being manifest, but it's there. How can we unleash it? We got to start by seeing it. Yeah. Again, it's not what you look at. It's what you see. It's so cool. And I, there's three quotes that I share all the time on the show, just because they're so important to me and I see them everywhere. But the first one is by Michelangelo. I saw the angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free. I think that's the beautiful part about this human experience that we all have is that we can't see the parts of the quote unquote David that aren't us. We need other people to communicate like, Hey, this doesn't belong. Hey, you can improve. And then another, one of my favorite quotes is you can't see the label from inside the jar. Right. And so it's like, if we're all empowering others by stepping into command and control leadership and helping each other uncover those unconscious beliefs or those skill sets that we may have that we're not fully leveraging, it's just a beautiful way for everyone to rise up all together if we're all kind of empowering each other to to be on this journey, which is so incredible. And the other thing I, I that you said kind of in passing, but that was a huge takeaway for me inside of Trust and Inspire was you, you, you kind of alluded to seeing people as the whole people, right? I know that's another one of the fundamental beliefs, but I thought this was such a paradigm shift because 
for me under just the understanding of that command and control is primarily focused on like the lower base of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, whereas command and trust and inspire is all about how we can see everyone and their spiritual, mental and intellectual and all that kind of stuff. It just uh, completely shifts the paradigm for the way that you lead people. So, so much in there. (laughs) It was so good. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And I love what you just added to this. That is exactly that. It's, it's a, you know, the, I, lo- I use the same Michelangelo quote. You know, I saw the angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free. That's, you know, what if we could be that kind of leader mm. and, and see the potential in the people? What if we could be that kind of parent or friend or mentor, or coach, and, and, um, and then treat people according to their potential, not just their behavior and, yeah. and, and help, help to bring that out. And, and, the, and we are hope people. We're not just a body. We have a heart and a mind and a spirit. So, so you know, it's not just about being paid. We want to be paid. That is important. But we also want to connect with our heart and love and care and belong. And we want to, we have a mind so we want to grow and develop. We have a spirit so we want to contribute and make a difference and matter and leave a legacy and have purpose and meaning and contribution. And, you know, the whole person, then we move into inspiration. Um. And, you know, just so much more whole, um, more, more empowering. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, but the great thing about it is it's a, it's a way of not only getting better results in terms of the performance, you know, you get the yard, you get the grass <laughs> the is green and clean, but you grow the person and you create the well being, and you build, you create the culture, the energy, the joy. So people are happier, more fun, mm-hmm. as well as more productive. Yeah, it's just just kind of an overwhelming way. At some level, it's so simple. It's just not easy because it's easy to kind of fall into into traps where where uh, we might say, "Yeah, I believe there's greatness in people," but when the pressure's on, I go into command and control. <laughs> <laughs> easy, and 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 that happens all the time uh, where our style might get in the way of our intent. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's incredible. And and man, I would just want to pause here for a second and just if if you're listening to this and you're finding value in this, everybody needs to go grab a copy of Trust and Inspire How Truly Great Leaders Unleash Greatness in Others. We'll make sure that we have that linked up in the show notes. And um the other thing that I wanted to make sure that we had a chance to get into is you share about like the three stewardships of a trust and inspire leader. And there's so much gold here from, you know, as a high level overview, just in case you want to kind of a pre-frame for everyone. There's like the modeling of who you are, trusting in how you lead and inspiring and connecting to why. And I, I think that since we have limited time, you have a whole nother book that has sold millions of copies, The Speed of Trust. So I guess if I had to kind of pick and choose, since it's 50% of the name, Trust and Inspire, let's go into some of the, the the trusting, like how we can actually lead people effectively. And so before we get into maybe, because I would love to talk about the stewardship agreements, because I think that's like yeah. absolutely foundational. But before we get there, I think one of the things that I, I loved, that was a huge reminder for me, and I think uh, uh, maybe we'll break through some barriers for some people too. One of the things you talk about is that extending trust to people is a risk, but there, there's a, a greater reward that you get when you actually trust people and that'll outweigh. So I would love for you to maybe share a little bit about how people can adjust their mindset of the risk of extending trust and how you kind of choose to view it from the perspective of uh, empowerment. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important that up front we acknowledge that to trust is to take a risk. There is risk. Otherwise, it wouldn't be trust. <laughs> but I'd like to also point out 
not to trust is also to mm-hmm. take a risk. Because when you don't trust them, what about the risk of that, of how they feel disempowered, of how they feel like they don't, maybe they're not being recognized or or, or valued or, or appreciated, how maybe it disengages them, how how they, you know, you're not tapping into their potential and maybe that potential could help us perform better. So to not trust is to take a risk too. And maybe when they don't feel trusted, they leave. And now we got, got to replace them and the cost of that. I think in today's world that not trusting is the greater risk. Mm, yeah. So you view it. Yes. We're, yeah, there is a risk to trusting, but there's a risk to not trusting. So we're trying to balance this out. And, and I think if you approach it as, you know, with risk comes possibility, comes opportunity. And, and, um, and so by trusting people to do something, maybe they'll do it a little bit different than you would if you truly empower them. Cause, but a true trust is that you focus on results on objectives, not on methods, mm-hmm. you know, like here's how you have to do it. Even my dad said to me, I want the yard to be green and clean. How you do it is up to you. He said, <laughs> You know, if you if if you want, you can take the hose and just water all day long, or if you want, you can spit <laughs> all day long. <laughs> as long as the yard is green and clean, he goes. If I were you, I would turn on the sprinklers. <laughs> but you can do it however you want. So he he empowered, he trusted around the outcome, the result. He left the methods up to me. Now there's a risk to that because maybe maybe I don't do it as good or something, but maybe I do it a lot better. Maybe yeah. I find some possibilities and come up with things that no one would have imagined. 3M, you know, post-it notes, they have what they call a 15% rule at 3M where they ask their engineers, spend 15% of your time thinking about ways we can innovate and create things that will be better for our customers or our company. From that 15% time came post-it notes <laughs> where, you know, you know, and they came up with something that, that it wasn't prescribed. It just, you know, emerged. All kinds of possibilities can come up. The data shows that in trusted, in high trust organizations, they're three times of more value. They have greater growth. They're more innovative, six times more, or excuse me, 11 times more innovative because there's possibilities that come mm-hmm. from the extension of trust. So yeah, there's a risk to trust, but there's a risk not to trust. And the possibilities, the outcomes, the how you can maximize all that can go right goes up dramatically. Mm-hmm. You know, a multiplier of at least three times and some data that shows 11 times when when of, of what you can create that wasn't there before. And mm-hmm. so, you know, trusting unleashes that, unlocks that. And, and um, but I think they to to the to the person that worries, well, I'll lose control. Just just add this to it that if you do what my dad did with me with green and clean, you you extend a smart trust where you have clear expectations around the trust being given, green and clean, and you have a, a you agree to a process of accountability. Let's walk the yard once a week. Tell me how you're doing. Then suddenly it's less like. Hey, I just trust you. Whatever happens, happens. No, it's here's the trust I'm extending to you. Here's with with agreed upon expectations and a sense of accountability to those expectations. And in that construct, you know, run with it. 
mm-hmm. and you watch the you watch what happens. People come up with possibilities you would never imagine otherwise. Mm, yeah, and what what I love about this so much too, and we'll dive into this, but like the fact that you are co-creating that outcome, you're well, you're co-creating the way it's done in the guidelines, like just creates such a different form of of relationship. And the other thing, as you were talking about, like you know, the risk of investing in people, it's actually a greater risk to not trust them. I, I recently interviewed Dr. Benjamin Hardy, who wrote the, the book 10X is Than 2X with Dan Sullivan. Um, and one of the things they talk, or I, I think I heard this in their challenge where it's like, if you trust in someone and it doesn't work out, it's a short-term loss, right? Like you can recover from that. But if you, if you, if you don't trust in someone, if you miss that opportunity of investing and trusting in someone, it's a long-term loss if, if you, if you have that. And so there's like, yeah, magnification. So I love that. And, and so let's, let's dive into a little bit of the, the stewardship. Can I do one last thing though? Please. Of, on trusting. Cause I think this will be really useful to our listeners as you're, it's a, it's a paradigm of saying, you know, there's kind of two approaches. Hey, I don't, you know, is trust earned or is it given? The answer is both. Yes, mm-hmm. you got to earn trust. You got to have character and competence, credibility, but we also have to give trust. Yeah. So to have trust, you got to be trustworthy. Yes, but you also have to be trusting. And too often, what's getting in the way of trust? We're not trusting enough. So I was just in Germany with um, Daniel Greeter. He's the CEO of Hugo Boss, you know, the big fashion retailer, great organization. And he told me this story, and he's a uh, um, big into trust. A big, big fan of speed of trust, and and um, and he's a trust inspired leader all the way through. So he's coming in, brand new CEO, comes in to the organization about about two years ago, and he's and he meets with the top hundred or so folks in the company, and he says, "Now look," he says, "Team, I'm new to the company. I'm new to you. You're new to me. We can spend the next year trying to figure out if we can trust each other, and we'll waste a year." <laughs> Or we can start by trusting each other right out of the gate and get going immediately on our plan and, and to create this vision of what we've got in front of us. So let me go first. I want to tell each and every one of you, I trust you. Mm. He didn't know them, but he's coming in and he says, I'm coming to this company and my starting point, my default, my starting point is I trust you. Trust me back. Because we can build something here fast. And this was not necessarily, you know, right in line with the culture there. The, you know, it, you know, it was really di- re- remarkable, but it was refreshing. Mm-hmm. People responded to it. They loved it. They, they were inspired by it. To be trusted is the most inspiring form of human motivation. It brings out the best in all of us. And people responded. And they are now, he, he just told me this, they are two years ahead of plan. They've wow. got this five-year plan. They're already two years ahead of their plan of where they want to be um, because they have the speed of trust operating and it's because he went first in trusting. And yeah, there was a risk to do it, but the greater risk would be not to do it. Like you were saying, the long-term loss, but even the short-term loss of mm-hmm. not trusting, they would they would be not anywhere near they would, they would be on the plan. Yeah. So there's a power that comes from trusting. I love that. And I, I had this highlighted in my book as one of the massive takeaways I had. I love how you called this like the first truster advantage, right? Like, like yeah. you get the you get the benefit if you if you're the one that puts it out there first and you're gonna see it come back to you exponentially quicker. And so, man, I would I would love to dive into like how people can like really 
tactically begin to trust others in, a, in an effective way. And this stewardship agreement tool is such a game changer. And I love how, when you talked about this in the book, you talked about it from some people approach this almost like there's a dichotomy. Like, do I finish this task or do I just build a relationship? And you found a way to bring these both together where you can complete the task and build a relationship if you create an effective stewardship agreement. So maybe share at a high level what the, the tool is and and then we can dive into some ways that people could actually go about leveraging it. Yeah, it's just kind of a really practical way of being able to trust people and still have, in a sense, control without having to micromanage them. And you achieve those two ends. You get the job done and you build a relationship. Mm. You get the job done and you grow the person. It's both. And you know, you get the outcome and the growth. You got the green and clean yard and grew the child. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of a stewardship agreement, whether it's formal or informal, because with my with my dad, he built a stewardship agreement, but I was seven years old. We didn't have this in writing. I didn't sign anything. It was conceptual, but you know, a variety of ways of doing it, but there's kind of two key elements, you know, clarifying expectations upfront, practicing accountability, expectations and accountability around the trust being extended, the stewardship being mm-hmm. given to someone around trust. And, and so with the clarified expectations, we kind of are looking in three areas. First, desired results. What is it that we have that we're after? And again, I'll go back to my dad. I want the yard to be green and clean. We want the yard. And it really was a we that we want it to be green and clean. Hmm. It's mutual. We built, we built it together. So that was a desired result an outcome. The second element is guidelines which could be, you know, boundaries or parameters, you know, within what limits, within what parameters. So that, and my dad said, okay, you know, I want it to be green and clean. How you do it is up to you, except for you can't paint the grass. <laughs> that would be an example of that's outside the boundaries. Dude, it came home grass. and it would have been purple, a purple lawn. I've been like, Stephen, yeah. what did you do? <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, that's the idea of that. There's, 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 there's parameters, there's boundaries, there's, you know, within what guidelines, um, you know, that's within what limits, you know, and then there's the third was resources. What do I have to work with within these parameters to get the outcomes? See, the outcomes is the desired results. The parameters, there's the guidelines, the resources. What do I have to work with? And in green and clean, my dad said, you can do anything you want. You've got the, you got the sprinklers and you got me. I'm your helper if I have time. Mm. And those are my resources. And that way people feel empowered. I've got what I need. I know what I'm trying to get. I know within the parameters, I've got the resources identified. So that's clarifying expectations. And you can really build this formally, informally, but always, always with that, you know, clarity of expectations in mind. And the second half of it is to, to create a process of accountability to those expectations where you build it together as opposed to you know, dictating accountability and it's mm-hmm. say, I will judge you. I will evaluate you. I'll hover over you. I'll, I'll manage you. No, it's you judge yourself like in green and clean against the expectations. And then tell me every week when we walk around how you're doing. Yeah. And that eliminates you know, micromanagement, right? Cause they're going with the, the agreement. Exactly. Exactly. But the reason people micromanage is because they want to make sure it gets done and, and they have not built an agreement. So you mm-hmm. got to kind of, I, I got to, you know, I got to, if I'm trusting someone, I got to get the result and I want to make sure it's happening and I haven't built the agreement. So I got to hover over them. I got to have control. Well, you just shift the control here from you controlling by micromanagement to 
when have they are responsible, their self-governance, but there's still control. It's in the mm-hmm. agreement that you've mm-hmm. built together with the accountability, which has two parts, which is the accountability process of how do we know how we're doing? Let's walk the yard once a week. And then there's a consequences. What are the implications natural of doing or not doing, of achieving or not achieving the results and outcomes? And so it can be a little bit more formal, less formal. But the whole point is you, you together, you build the agreement together, clarifying mm-hmm. expectations, practicing accountability. When you do it together, you'll get better results. People will be more committed to it because you've involved them. And, and then uh, they also feel a greater sense of ownership and they, and they grow better. If you dictate expectations and dictate accountability without the involvement, you won't have anywhere near the level of commitment and you'll find yourself probably micromanaging again. Mm-hmm. And, and so this is just a tool to make trusting work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when there's risk and, 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 and helping also people grow and develop to where they're ready to take on more and more responsibility. And it, that way you still keep control, but it's just a different kind of control. You've shifted the locus of control from mm-hmm. you judging them to them assessing themselves against the agreement, but the control is built in the agreement and that yeah. changes everything. They feel empowered. They feel trusted. They feel inspired. Yeah. And yet you as a leader still feel a sense of, I'm not only developing my people, I'm getting the results done and I know what's going on. I've not lost control. I have actually greater control mm-hmm. through, through the agreement we built together and the power of that, what it does to people. Remarkable. Yeah. Just like, man, just hit that back skip 30 minutes or 30 seconds a few times and just like, just how that, how different that feels from a dictated command and control. And, and just in case you are on a treadmill, you're driving, you're washing dishes or something, I, I have my notes here. So what are those desired results? What are the guidelines for that or the boundaries? Don't paint the grass, right? What are the uh, resources available, the accountability? And then um, it just creates this mutual contract that the person's probably going to manage themselves more effectively than if you were kind of micromanaging the whole thing. And that's that's just so, so incredible. And obviously, if you want the more expanded, all the details, go and grab your version or your copy of Trust and Inspire. And this is only one of the three stewardships, <laughs> right? There's so much, there's right. so much more in here that we couldn't even, couldn't even fit in. But I, I thought maybe we could cut, we, we, we could fit one more small component in of the, 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 the third stewardship about inspiring and connecting to why. And I love this so much. And I think it's, it's really, well, I mean, obviously there's three of them. It's one of the core components that everybody needs to focus on is that people want to feel inspired. I love that from your book. It was like this study about basically that's the number one thing that people look for yeah. in a leader is that they want to feel inspired. And I, I thought a, a really great demonstration of this was a, a story that you told in the book about Indra Nuya, um, about how she was inspiring people with some some really important notes, uh, which is really cool. So I would love for you to maybe share that as a good example for how we can inspire. Yeah. Indra was the former CEO and chairman of PepsiCo, you know, big Pepsi, big global company. And, and, um, um, when she became the CEO, she went back to her uh, her native country in India. Her mother was still living there. Her father had passed away. And, and they had a special gathering at her mother's home where all these people came in. And the whole idea was, look, I've raised, you know, um, she's the CEO of this big Fortune 500 company. All these people came over. And Indra said that everyone went up and congratulated, not Indra, but they congratulated Indra's mom. 
her mm. mother. <laughs> and and you know, Andrew didn't mind. She just thought it was interesting how how everyone was coming to the mom saying, You are amazing. You've raised this child that's become the CEO. Wow. I can't believe you've done this. You're so amazing. And Indra said, not a word to me, but everyone would just go up for her mom. And, and she loved it. Indra loved it because she saw how this was so pleasing and gratifying for her mother. And so she left that experience and came back and said, wow, look at what that does to see a parent be recognized for what they've done in raising their child. And she decided that she was going to try something with the parents of her leaders, mm -hmm. of her executive team. But even more than that, as many as 400 leaders wow. at her company where she wrote personal letters to the parents, to the mother, to the father of her, um, of her uh, leaders, thanking them for the gift of their child to the company. And, and how remarkable that child was and how remarkable they were for raising such a child that was so valuable to the company. The bottom line on this, everyone felt inspired. The parents were thrilled. They, they hadn't had something like this in years. The, the, the leaders felt they were so happy because their parents were so happy. And Indra was, was so pleased. Everyone was inspired. There was a sense of belonging, of connection. It was extraordinary, just a, a simple practice, but it showed the care, the concern, and the the, the sense of belonging of, of, of this, and it inspired people. And the whole idea of inspiring is, if this is what people want from their leaders, to be inspired, you might say, well, I'm not, I'm not a charismatic person. I can't inspire. I'm, I'm separating inspiration from charisma. Mm. You don't have to be charismatic to inspire. They're different. Everyone can inspire. It's learnable. And you inspire when you connect with people through caring and belonging, like Indra did, by sending these letters to the parents of her leaders. And, and it could be a thousand different things you might do to show caring, to, to create a sense of belonging. And you also inspire others when you connect others to purpose, to mm -hmm. meaning, to contribution. The whole point is inspiring others is actually a learnable skill. Everyone mm. can inspire, not just for the charismatic. And it is a stewardship, a responsibility we have as leaders to inspire those around us. Mm. And that's a paradigm shift. And yeah. I think I think that itself is inspiring, that each of us can inspire. And I love that too, because in inspiring, you you break it down in the book to make it so much simpler. I feel like inspiration is one of those words like, you're right. It's like, oh, that seems kind of intimidating. How do I do that? But like the way that you broke it down of just, it's about connecting with people at first and foremost, right? And like we were talking before we hit record, you're someone who practices what he preached. I got a, I got a handwritten letter from Steven saying, I look forward to being on your podcast. I believe you'll find my new book, Trust and Inspire, to be relevant in helping people to create a more deeply connected world. Like he found out my life purpose ahead of time and wrote me a handwritten note, which uh, I, I told my friend, actually funny, I'll, I'll sneak this in here, Steven, my good friend, Luke, he actually has uh, on his, I think it's on his thigh, he has a tattoo of the seventh habit 
from uh from your dad so he's he's got a he's got a, a, a tattoo of the sharp and the saw but i texted him when i got this note he's like you need to frame that <laughs> which was which is absolutely incredible that you're practicing what you preach you're writing these notes and um it's so simple because that's inspiring right the fact that you just took the time to do that research to be empathetic and to be compassionate like you don't it, sometimes the inspiration is in the smallest things right and then it's in the simple things and so i think that's absolutely beautiful yeah, with, with, well, thank you, Brandon. I appreciate that. And yes, that my intent was to connect, you know, which is your work and and <laughs> that connection and to show that I'm excited to be on your show. I care about what you're doing. I think there's an overlap with my message and your message. Mm. And and I'm trying to make that that connection. And it's just a little simple illustration that this is learnable. Yeah. That we can each of us, we don't have to be this special, you know, this dynamic charismatic person that inspires. I, I I know a lot of people who are charismatic, but who are not inspiring. Mm. And I know other people who no one would describe as charismatic, but who are extraordinarily inspiring because mm. of who they are and how they lead, how they connect, how they care and love and tie people to purpose. And so everyone can inspire. It's learnable. And I think that's a paradigm shift that inspiring others is learnable as, as a skill, but also I think it's a paradigm shift that inspiring others is actually a stewardship that we have as a leader. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I want I want to see if we can squeak this in. I want to be respectful of your time. I know we got a few more minutes. One of the things that I highlighted too on this topic about inspiring was it was something really small, but it really stood out to me. And you talked about this term, you talked about co-purposing. And I think yes. this is really important for myself and my audience as well. It's like, how do we, because the show is all about how do we build alignment? How do we create a business that's in alignment with our values? Um, and, and you talk about like the idea of overlapping your individual and your business purpose. So for anybody that is working to create a aligned business where their values are directly reflecting of what they're doing inside of their business, what advice would you have for them to make sure that they're creating an effective co-purposing organization? Yes. You know, it, the whole idea is, you know, you, you always, you know, Simon Sinek said, start with why. And you're doing this organizationally too, is you're starting with the why, the purpose, whatever this is about. And and you take your purpose, the organization's purpose, the team's purpose, the project's purpose, and then you're trying to create and embed that purpose and other meaning and contribution into, I believe you can do it into any role in any organization. Now, it's going to be easier in some than in others. Like if I work at St. Jude Children's Medical Research Hospital, you know, they're they're curing childhood cancer. So mm -hmm. the purpose there is just so rich. It's a lot easier to connect to that. But if you're thoughtful about it, you can find ways to to overlap purpose, to co-purpose, to, to 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 show how it connects and, and relates to it. So I'll give you a brief example. I was with um, uh, Pepperdine University and their, their school of business, the graduate school of business. And, you know, the idea is that all these business schools are trying to do important things. And yeah, there's purpose there. But listen to what they did to really create and embed purpose, meaning, and contribution into every role, in every in, you know, throughout the organization. They, they created the purpose and they stated it this way. They said, our, our purpose is not to produce leaders who are best in the world. Anyone can have that as their purpose. Our purpose is to produce leaders who are best 
for the world. Mm. Best for the world leaders. And that 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 creation of purpose. Now imagine now if you're now building an agreement with someone and saying, okay, who are we and what we're all about? We're creating best for the world leaders. Mm. And you can, you know, you're trying to make this broad enough that people say, oh, I connect with that. That that matters to me. And there's a little bit of overlapping of what they're about with what the team and the organization is about. And sometimes you have to be creative. Sometimes you have to be intentional to overlap it. Ralph Steyer at, at um, Johnsonville Sausage. I mean, they, they're a sausage company. <laughs> and, you know, the joke, the joke, the running joke is no one wants to see how the sausage is being made, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> they're, ma- they're making the sausage. And so you think, how can they have purpose? But here's, here's how re- their founder says, he says, most, uh, most companies exist so that the people will build the company. At Johnsonville, our company exists to build the people. Mm. And so they have created purpose by expanding the, what they're about of not just trying to sell more sausage, but to build people. And that by tapping, you know, again, that's not curing childhood cancer. So they created a purpose building people that's pretty meaningful mm. and now i can more clearly overlap our organization's purpose with maybe your personal purpose and so you know helping you know finding your organizational why and then helping another find their why the very act of helping them find their why they have to do it for themselves but you're there to support help and trying to find a way to overlap the whole purpose Mm. That's when you're going to tap into some special inspiration. That's that beautiful. Be remarkable. So, so good. And guys, again, we have just scratched the surface. So I would highly, highly recommend anyone go grab a copy of Trust and Inspire. We'll have that linked up in the show notes. Anywhere else you want people to head, Stephen, to check out the work and the other stuff that you're up to? Yeah, you can go to trustandinspire.com. And there's a variety of tools and resources there that could be really useful to you. Trustandinspire.com. And, and, um, I really believe, Brandon, this is where leadership is going towards inspiration. And, and, um, like Wayne Gretzky, you know, the great hockey player, he was asked one time, you know, what makes you so great at hockey? He said, I skate to where the puck is going to be, not to where it's been. And in leadership, the puck is going towards inspiration. Mm. People want to be inspired in our world. We want to be inspired. And and um and so learning how to do this, seeing this as a stewardship, seeing this as learnable, understanding how to do it through by connecting with people, through caring and belonging, and then connecting people to purpose, to meaning and contribution, and that we can inspire others intentionally. We can trust them, we can model for them. So model, trust, inspire those three stewardships. And it's learnable, it's doable. And so I would just say to our listeners, where do you start? Go first. Mm-hmm. Someone needs to go first. Leaders go first. So be the first to extend that trust. Be the first. You want more respect? Be the first to show respect. Be the first to be transparent. Be the first to be empathic. Be the first to extend that trust. Be the first to demonstrate the care and the concern and to create the sense of belonging, to overlap purpose and meaning and contribution. Someone needs to go first. Leaders go first. Be a model, not a critic. Mm. That's the idea. 
so beautiful. And I just want to say to you listening, thank you for trusting us. Thank you for trusting myself and for Stephen for, for listening and spending your time with us. It means so much to me that you're investing in yourself to expand and grow. And Stephen, thank you for trusting me to come on the show and share your wisdom. This has been so much fun. I appreciate you so much, my friend. And any final things you want to say before we head off today? Just that I appreciate you, Brandon, and what you're doing to build a more connected world and bring out the best authentic version of ourselves. It's a big part of what this Trust Inspire message is all about. So I think we're aligned in trying to help bring about this better connected world and 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 also the best version of ourselves. I would just kind of maybe conclude with this beautiful expression by um, Eleanor Roosevelt. It's really what about what Trust Inspire is all about. And she says that a good leader um, focuses on helping people have confidence in the leader. A great leader focuses on helping people have confidence in themselves. Hmm. So they see, communicate, develop, and unleash the potential, the greatness that is inside of others. And they have learned to have confidence in themselves. My father did that with me in green and clean as a seven-year-old boy, as a seven-year-old. And I think if it can work with a seven-year-old, I think it can work with a 27-year-old or a 47-year-old or a 67-year-old, any age. We all want to be led in this way. We want to be trusted. We want to be inspired. It brings out the best in all of us. And so just like my father was for me, a trust-inspired figure, I ask our listeners, think of in your life, has there been someone who believed in you, who maybe believed in you more than you believe in yourself, who had confidence in you, maybe more confidence in you than you had in yourself. And again, it could be a, a mentor or a coach, someone at work, someone at home, family member, friend, parent, grandparent, aunt, uncle, someone in the community, someone who believed in you, someone who gave you a chance, took a chance on you, you know, who trusted, who inspired you, what that did for you, just like my father did with me. Maybe some you've had someone in your life that's done something for you, someone who was your advocate, your champion, believed in you, helped you come to believe in yourself, what that did for you, how you were inspired by that, how you rose to the occasion, how you saw yourself differently, how you felt because of that. Isn't that what we want? So my my invitation to us as listeners is identifying such a person. I invite you two things. First, thank that person who is a trust-inspired leader in your life, if you can. If they passed on, thank the family member of them. Mm-hmm. You'll be amazed at what thanking them does to them and to you. Mm-hmm. But secondly, pay it forward. What if you could become that kind of leader for somebody else in your life? A trust-inspired figure, person, leader, coach, mentor to another, just like someone has been to you. And that way we begin to create this ripple effect to help create a better world, a more connected world. And we elevate beautiful society. So beautiful. Mike drop. Can't add anything to that because that was just so beautiful. So Steven, thank you so much. This has been an absolute honor. I appreciate you. And we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Thank you, Brandon. I appreciate you and love what you're doing.